Shooting it raw? Yes. Shooting it raw. Hello, world. I'm Ran Alfasi, and welcome to Shooting It Raw, the podcast that starts with a few photos our guests want to talk about, and then we take it from there. In this episode, oh man, so good. I'll be speaking with David Stuss. I've known Dave uh, for about three years now, and he is just bonkers smart, and oh, we had such a great conversation. I, I hope you love it too. There's, you know, photography as I appreciate it done by others, and then there's photography as I practice it. And uh, in my case, you know, I'm, I'm not a professional. I do it with uh, my smartphone, and it's just a way of, of uh, capturing these unique moments where something suddenly jumps out at you you see something beautiful or extraordinary and singular and um you know finding a way to frame and compose that so and sometimes it, you know a story will will come out of it mm-hmm. I, I often i often find that um for some of the photographs that i do um I, I'll, I'll just be you know suddenly hit with a feeling it's like I need to take a picture of that and then only afterwards upon looking at it it's sort of it's like it it unspools itself into an interesting story mm-hmm. which I, you know I might have I might have felt uh, in some inchoate kind of way but uh, certainly wasn't there when I took the photo ah. well okay so David Stuss is that am I saying your last name correctly Stuss or Stuss? You are indeed Okay. Yeah, well, it de- depends on whether you're not you're back in the old country, but yes. Oh, is, David Stuss. <laughs> this is what we say here in North America. Okay. Um, oh, so okay. So the first photo. First of all, welcome to shooting it raw. I appreciate Thank you, you uh, joining me on this on this uh, hour long conversation. We'll see where we end up, but uh, here's the one thing that I think is really funny or quite quite telling. Um, we live in a world where we can make photos with our phones very easily so the 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 mechanics of making great photographs is kind of taken out so my 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 approach has been okay well what are you doing what are you doing with your pictures then and 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 what inspires you to make a photo so you 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 preface you sort of say how oh, looking you know, i'm not really a photographer i'm not really a professional photographer and blah 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 but then you send me these images and they're stunning they're really great right and so i just and that's kind of it proves the point it's just in this case, okay, so you sent me three photos, and we'll talk about the first one, which is Hatfell. Hatfell, yeah, that's a, it's a, an, uh, an out, I, well, I guess you would call it an extinct volcano, or uh, it, it's not, you know, it's not going to come to life again in, in uh, Iceland. Oh, wow. In the, yeah, in the, in the southern highlands of wow. Iceland. So, so the photograph, just so I can, can describe it, uh, the horizon, which is, you can't c- clearly see the horizon, but the line is essentially cutting through half of the image. The top half is uh, uh, is the sky. So what I love about photographs, whether there aren't a lot of mountains nearby, is that you can see the cloud cover kind of low, and yes. um, above that you see the high, the sky with high high clouds. So it's like different shades of of blue, and then you've got the low clouds, which is gray and white. Yeah. The bottom half is this. Uh, it dark soil. There's um, it's very very dark. It's almost in some areas it's black, gray, very arid. So there's no not much vegetation on it. And yet, mm-hmm. right in the middle, cutting the middle of the image is this beautiful rising. It looks like it's probably about three hundred meters or six hundred feet tall, and it's got 
Uh, it's very volcanic, and it's but it's got this very subtle new green on it. Yeah, so so it's it's a stunning image. It's stunning. So so, what does this communicate? And how did this? How did? What's the story behind this image? Clearly, you're in Iceland. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So uh, about uh, probably about a decade ago, I um, I had uh, a friend and his partner, a friend from graduate school, and uh, as I you know had wrapped wrapped that up, we just decided to go on uh, a hiking trip in Iceland. I think uh, I, I can't recall. I think they they might have been doing something for you know either you know getting married and it was their month long honeymoon, and I got to sort of tag along for the. <laughs> For the for, <laughs> as the third wheel for, uh, for the <laughs> okay. So describe this friend. Good friend, clearly. Yeah, re- yeah, really good friend. Yeah, <laughs> just, uh, just, uh, just, uh, yeah. Not, not that good, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. No, they were lovely, lovely people. <laughs> good yeah, enough, good to... enough to have me tag me along. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I exactly. love it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, we flew into Reykjavik, and of course, Iceland is really small. One of the, and they've got these amazing tours you can take. But uh, there's this. Um, this trail in the Southern Highlands, they have, you know, this amazing kind of very well-regulated, you know, hike system and cabin system where, you know, you have to book months in advance. They only let so many people on and yeah, it's only open for, I think a a few months of the year, maybe uh, half, half a year at at best. And so anyway, we, we bust in and we said, I think it was a six, a six day hike. And it was honestly, uh, you know, one of the most extraordinary experiences of my life doing doing this trail so you're you know you're in in the highlands it's uh a lot of it is you know sort of the nature of iceland it's sort of this upwelling of you know where these two continental plates are interacting so it's you know it's very active kind of an elemental landscape and uh you know within on this particular hike i think probably within about an hour of you know getting off the tour bus having the backpack and wandering in i honestly felt like i had entered into some sort of Tolkien-esque landscape. Um, it just, it just felt, you know, it's like this, you, you pass through this veil and then you were just in this magical other world mm-hmm. where, where, um, you know, I've told, told many friends this, but I'm, I'm sure you probably have heard that, uh, Icelanders, for example, believe in elves, which, you know, just sounds like, uh, this sort of preposterous thing in a modern age. But honestly, after, you know, an hour into that trail, it was like, oh, okay, I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I get funny. it. I, yeah, I get it. Why this makes sense to you. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, you don't, I think you know, almost every hour you would sort of cross some, some sort of hilltop and come across this, you know, just jaw dropping Vista. Mm-hmm. And I think this one, uh, Hatfell was on the third day. And so my experience with this was, you know, it almost, it would almost felt like encountering like an old, like an old God or something like this. I had sort of wandered off on my own. As you can see, there's, there's nobody else, you know, nearby on the trail, you know, other hikers would you know, often be separated by kilometers. You have no real sense of scale in this landscape. So, you know, maybe your height estimate is, is correct, but uh, it's, it's very difficult mm-hmm. because there's, you know, there's nothing near or far. You've got all this volcanic rock. Um, so it's completely barren you, you, and really you get this feeling almost like being on, on Mars or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and then suddenly there's just this solitary majestic entity, you know, just sort of t- taking up the horizon with this mm-hmm. little trail leading up to it. Yeah. It was um, truly, yeah, truly awe inspiring. Did you end up climbing it? Uh, no, no. Um, I, I don't, I actually, I'm not sure if they encourage that or, or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you, you, 
the weather's not always that um, sympathetic right. out there. So usually you're, you want to try to make sure you get from cabin to cabin while you've got enough light. And yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's just rewind a little bit. Um, so your friend and you were in graduate school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he okay. was a postdoc. He was a postdoc at the time. Okay, but in what what field? A geology or no? In neuroscience, actually. Oh, okay. And what yeah. about you? Yeah, same. Oh, um, that, that's what my grad work was in. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. <gasps> I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know. Well, wait a second. Do you know that uh, Mike? Do you know you know the name Michael Sapolsky? Um. He he's pretty uh well regarded uh, down at down at down at stanford is it is it yeah. michael yeah 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 the, yeah the fellow he does the uh the work with uh, primates yes exactly and who now, looks is it, who looks like is it a, mike i think it's michael sapolsky okay but jennifer jennifer um, sapolsky no it's michael um but anyway so i like i love the fact that we have this intersection i didn't know that and who's impulse was it to go to iceland if you know i was i was, I was imagining you guys were in in geology or something so that was oh, right no they well they're from the uk um okay. the, yeah the the couple and they had they had returned back there okay and yeah so by yeah by by that time you know i was finishing up uh his postdoc had finished they had gone they had gone back to the uk and then we're we're planning this trip so okay yeah it's just something that we were you know we were just discussing they said they were doing it you know would i like to come along and i just jumped at the chance oh amazing so were yeah. there places where you hit snow or it's not quite that time of the year um yeah right at the very beginning um you can uh like the elevation increases if you're going from north to south um you can access this this sort of six-day hike from either end Mm-hmm. And uh, at the at the very beginning, there's this really rapid um, sort of climb to a higher elevation, mm-hmm. and you're yeah, there's definitely you're you're stepping over snow at some some parts of it. Right. Wow. Yeah. I really like the light and the and the and image, and it's very stark. And so, in a sense, like okay, so have you had any training at all in in visual media or photography? No, arts? no, none, none, none whatsoever. This is all, yeah, entirely. I, don't, I wouldn't even say self-taught. I just sort of, I just do what I like. <laughs> you and, just go, and, and some, Yeah, and, some, and sometimes they turn out, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, shit. The, the photos yeah. you said were all great. Okay, yeah. let's go yeah. to the next one. Sure. Okay. This one, okay, so, so okay, you say, you say, oh, well, you know, self-taught, and they'll t- turn out. And this one, okay, it's selfie in glass, mirrors within mirrors, okay. Yeah, yeah. It looks, okay, so I'll, I'll, let me describe it. So when you look at it, it's, it's a confusing image because it's almost monochromatic. So it's mostly whites and blacks and grays, but there's also some green in there because it's your photographing through a window or a porch mm-hmm. behind uh, the glass, are, are some what looks like BC British Columbia um, I don't know trees and shrubs uh, could be a raspberry bush maybe not yeah I don't know. yeah it's a, a planter yeah yeah and you can see part of the reflection of inside of the house and then you see through and you see the trees and you see the water and the deck with a chair um, and it's it's chaotic it's chaotic and I the fact that you called it a selfie in glass immediately causes me to look for your face. And uh, I can't really see it. And I, and in a way, I'm not saying that this is a very um, artistic, you know, in quotes, uh, uh, image, because it's abstract or anything. But it is, but it is, it is, yeah, it's great. Like it is, it, it's so, so 
what does this evoke? I mean, when I look at this, it reminds me of Savory, you know, the island Savory in British Columbia? Mm-hmm, 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 it, mm-hmm. It, it kind of a view like that. So where is it? Why? Who? What? When? Yeah, so, well, honestly, this is this is one of my favorite photographs that I've that I've ever taken because there's I think there's there's so so much depth to it and there's there's so much uh, kind of interesting um interpretations you can you can pull out of it mm-hmm. so so first off it was taken uh, just kind of at a, a, a weekend trip to point no point which is um if you've been in british columbia kind of passed out past souk having mm-hmm. having up the southwest side of the island nice and uh yeah of course the you know the i think you know kind of a wintertime scene um, so you get the, you get that feeling of uh, the BC coast, you know. Or you know, people might think of it as Seattle. It's the Pacific Northwest, right? That kind of like gray, gray overcast. British Columbia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, and and uh, yeah, I was just uh, out standing in front of uh, the cabin where I was staying with my family, and kind of just wandering around. And as you, yeah, as you correctly surmised, um, I'm standing and facing uh, the deck. And there is some glass glass panels, right, mm. sort of along, along the railing. And of course, you can see the sliding glass doors and the windows behind that on the other side of the deck. Mm. And um, the selfie part, just maybe to, to pull it out of the image, you can actually make out my ear. I've got this uh, kind of right in the center of the of the image. Um, I'm wearing actually a, like a kind of a peaked cap. You see, there's that kind of like. Um, uh, sort of semi-ovoid structure. Mm-hmm. It looks a little. Um, so that's my hat, and you can see my right ear. Right. Or I guess, sorry, it would be my left ear reflected in. Yeah. It. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but you know what? Even though you say that, uh, for for the listeners, I you know I have to say, it's one of those things that, yeah, you could see it, but it's kind of it. You would never be able to pick it out. You know. No, like not, it's, unless it's, you, not unless you were told. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's. Uh, I, I like this kind of uh, visual confusion. Yeah, but the uh, well, the the center of the image that where really you can sort of see everything most clearly is where my face is, mm-hmm. where the chair and the the plants inside right. the planter. Right. Yeah. Just some of the things that that I end up thinking about is that it looks it looks like um, monochromatic. Like there there is some color, but it's it's but and yet it's all it's all mostly black and white so has this been kind of filtered and i'm sorry if i'm getting a little nerdy about it but like has this that's okay um, yeah i think almost all of the um almost the, all of the images so i you know i post these things on instagram and uh i i almost always do a little bit of sort of you know filter tweaking just sure. to um you know just sort of enhance nothing nothing too dramatic but to, to pull out some of the things that i think uh, make the the image more visually appealing or or mm-hmm. interesting when you grew up, did you grow up? I think you had mentioned earlier that like you mentioned in um, in Ontario, right? In your Orleans. Yeah, yeah, just outside of Ottawa. That's right. So actually, um, in a little bit in Orleans, but even further out of than Orleans, in a village called Cumberland, was just you know a couple of thousand people who lived there. Oh wow! So so, what does your dad? What, what what's your dad like? That you ended um, up going to neuroscience in Ottawa, outside of Ottawa, and then right now you're you end up in BC. Yeah, he was. Well, we have this very, a very, you know, kind of peculiar, peculiar relationship and peculiar pattern. A lot of, a lot of um, my life path kind of re- recapitulates his. Mm. Um, so I'm, yeah, was very, very like him in a lot of ways, which you know sometimes made our relationship difficult. 
uh -huh. and and sometimes enhanced it. But uh, yeah, he also so he had a, a a difficult relationship with his dad. He went out west after he graduated and became a monk for just about half a decade, and then he went back and he became a neuropsychologist and actually went on to have quite you know you know late in life to have really quite an extraordinary career in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it just turned out, you know, the apple didn't fall far from the tree as far as, you know, my, my interests. I had yeah. a lot of um, similar interests in, in the brain and, and consciousness and, wow. you know, and how they work. So I, I know many people in, in, in BC. Okay. So you and I met while I was there for, uh, I don't know, four or five months. And um, I was really taken by the quality of, of your expression and thinking. And you I mean, you're still skateboarding? Oh, good. Well, you know, if I had the opportunity to, I, I think I'm at an age where I, there's a, a certain, like, very visceral trepidation that, <laughs> that I feel. Ignore <laughs> that really trepidation. Just, just go for it. Some of my ankles are, are held together with bits of shoelace now. And, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah. Um, but I think, you know, if I had one and, and, you know, there was a skate park nearby, I would probably be out there fairly often. Just right. Early in the morning. You know? Right. Before the grommets took over. Uh huh. So, so okay. Right now, you're teaching. Yes. Okay. Is what you're teaching nonfiction, factual information, or is it... yeah? Okay. I'm in the I'm in the chemistry department actually at a at a at a college. So um, I, I came through there on my on my extremely meandering uh, academic journey, and uh, you know where I I started out in in philosophy and the humanities and decided oh, wow. I. I wanted to do, you know, do the sciences, which I had never really done in high school. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, as I was approaching my thirties, just sort of hit the reset button and started from the bottom and you know, right at the very beginning. And I ended up returning to the place where I, where I actually had done the first bit of my undergraduate in the sciences. And I had, I had made a very, a very good connection with some of the instructors there. And I think I had spent enough time tutoring my, my peers mm -hmm. when I was in the program that they thought I would be a good fit. Okay. As a teacher, they invited me back later. Yeah. Oh wow! From reading Sapolsky, from reading many Robert. Robert, Robert, you're right. It is Robert, not Michael. Yes. Ah. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna call him Jennifer. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one reason he didn't want to join me on the on the podcast was I was calling him Michael. <laughs> He's like, oh uh, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> Get my name straight. Uh, okay. So okay. So. Let's let's say there's a thread, and it's that we're in, and it's a, it's a leap. It's a it's a it's a, it's a leap. But who let's go down that thread or whatever. Mm. Um, right now you're teaching chemistry, right? Mm -hmm. Which for me is like one of the. I mean, biology is a fascinating science, but chemistry to me is a really is a really hard science. Okay, so um, that thread going down into say neuroscience and then going back down to philosophy. How would you connect it? Right, because like my like just on my side, I have this very broad range of experience, but the thread is always communication, right? Mm. Be it scientific communication or or whatever, right? So, is there a thread that you can draw? Um, yeah, I, I, very very much so. I think well, you know, temp temperamentally in terms of my um, my my public self expression, uh, although although inwardly I'm I'm highly inclined to uh, I don't know, exploring topics which are out on the fringes, uh, if you like. 
as you know, my, I, I really enjoy thinking about and exploring um, what some people would think are very peculiar ideas. Okay. You know, uh, sort of, you know, heading into this, this, the science fiction or more, you know, more speculative kinds of thinking, but um, publicly speaking, uh, I tend to be much more conservative, you know, and if I'm, if I'm going to, although I'm not formally titled a professor, if I'm going to profess something, it's going to be something which is, which I consider highly reliable, okay. you know, high, highly reliable information. And, right. you know, chemistry is certainly that. So there's, you know, there's, there's that aspect to it mm-hmm. uh, as a matter of personal psychological temperament. But I, I think in the background, uh, I, I have a certain affinity for the idea that, you know, lifting, lifting all boats by arriving at kind of consensus understanding of the nature of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just something which I put a tremendous amount of value on oh, and, wow. and, um, and I like sharing information. So I think you know, like you, I like, I like communicating. I really like sharing information with people mm. and uh, I find that personally tremendously rewarding. And so yeah, teaching is a really natural avenue. For right. Me. Well, one of the things that I do in my, you know, in my day job is, you know, I write, I write books and stuff. And so one of the books that, uh, I'm writing, uh, with my client is on human advancement, right? Mm. So this idea that, you know, there are certain people out there who, for whatever reason, push the envelope or push a knowledge or understanding just a little bit and then uh, raise, you know, all boats sort of style. Um, mm. And so, you know, so, so in a way, like the guests that I have on the podcast, it would be great if they were like all notables, right? Like famous people and all that stuff. But sure. but I think it's it's just as interesting and just as revealing to have people in their own little corners like you're in Victoria BC and and yet everybody's kind of lifting their little network upwards and outwards and and for the rest of the world for all we know you're you're coming out with certain ideas and sharing certain ideas that raise people around you to think new ideas and it's just constantly elevating your network of what people are thinking. I know I'm not, I know, I know I'm not making sense at all. No, no, I think I follow you. Exactly. <laughs> I think I follow you exactly. Well, in, in, in fact, I think you're, you're articulating um, what, what I would say would be, you know, if, if I had to choose how my life would go, um, it would, it would be to do exactly that invisibly. Ah. So if, you know, I could, if I could just, I don't know if you've ever seen, um, if you've ever seen the movie uh, Wings of Desire. Mm-hmm. By Vim Vanders, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, what the angel does, you know, he just floats into these individuals, you know, because he can sort of telepathically connect with what anybody is thinking around him. And he'll just, you know, if somebody's in a state of distress, will stand by them and put his hand on their shoulder and their consciousness changes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they kind of sense that there's a presence there. But sometimes it's just that their thought process changes, right? And and then you know they 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 take a different direction. There's something that I find so exquisitely beautiful about that idea, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and to to effectively sort of heal or transform what is happening around you in a way that in which there's no self significance whatsoever. Right. Well, yeah. So here's what's interesting in this banter, right? Like, 
you say something, I process, I think about it, I make connections, I pass it back to you, you, you know, so we're, we're kind of like shifting back and forth. It's kind of like mm. this funny tide. And, and in a way, it's kind of like, what you're doing is you're just kind of adding some, a new drift or a new force or a new pressure. So that when you're talking to somebody, it's like when you talk to me, for example, then that leaves me uh, thinking these new ideas. And so I'd never thought of uh, Wings of Desire in that way. Mm-hmm. But now that you've reminded me of it, and hopefully other people who are listening to this are going to be like, oh, okay, okay. So let me ask you a question. Sure. Of the three images, two of them are photos of a scene or landscape photos. You mm-hmm. send me one, which you call a selfie in glass, you know, mm-hmm. with, with the mirrors and windows, right? So how would you deconstruct or detangle the idea that the selfie you send me is completely not... A, it's, so it's kind of like, actually, it just mirrors what, or echoes what you were saying in terms of, well, I don't necessarily want to impose myself on, on, on people. And this very selfie that you send me is kind of like... Where's David? You know, it's right. like, you know what I mean? So, right. Well, there's a, yeah, I mean, we could unpack it. I, I could, I could talk about this particular photograph for, for half an hour. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot in it. So maybe as a way of, of entry into it. When I was in my early twenties, I got, I had come across this book um, about lucid dreaming. I don't know if you've heard of this before. Sure. Sure. Right. So it's, you know, this, it's this sort of peculiar um, hybrid state in which, which is very often, you know, it's difficult to achieve and difficult to sustain, but uh, effectively you become conscious in the way that you would be in your, in your waking state, but while you are having a dream mm-hmm. and, you know, it has this quality almost like of being in the holodeck in Star Trek or something like that. Right. So you are aware of the fact that you're dreaming, but your sensory experience is uh, in many ways, you know, very much like almost exactly like what you would ex- be experiencing while you're awake. Uh, and sometimes even more vivid. Mm-hmm. The main difference, of course, being is that certain of the, because you're not getting, you know, sensory input, which is, you know, grounded by the regularities of nature, your imagination is also at play. So yeah, you can fly. Yeah, you can fly. Some of the, you know, some of the consistencies that you would expect in a physical environment aren't going to be there. Like if you, you know, you look at a clock, you might see the time, you look away, you look back at it, and it's different, right? So your, your brain isn't good at, at sustaining those kinds of patterns. Um, in any case, I was completely fascinated by this and uh, spent a lot of time uh, exploring it. But um, I started to sort of do experiments in that in that state. So you know, I would wake up inside the dream, and then I would start almost like a, like a, a, a physicist might. I would start testing out the parameters of, of the the space that I was in. Huh. You know, seeing what you know, it's like what was the gravity like? You know, where there where were the light sources? You know, it's a bright day. Could I see the sun? And um, this one in particular, I had this, this very vivid one in which I, I woke up and found myself standing, you know, I might have been in Ireland, something like that. It was this, you know, perfect sunlit day, these rolling green hills. I was standing barefoot in the grass, you know, seeing the dew sparkling. I could feel the wet grass under my feet. And I started to run through uh, all of the facts that I knew about where I actually was. So I knew, you know, it's like, what's my address? Mm-hmm. You know, where am I? You know, I'm in, I'm in my bedroom, I'm sleeping in the bed and, and yet, so it's like being aware oh, wow. of all of those, of all of those facts. And yet here I am standing in this field and in this particular dream, I wanted to see if I could 
both perceive the space that I was in, in the dream, and also feel the bed. Ah. And I did. Oh, I, wow. could feel, I could feel the pressure, you know, as I kind of did, you know, whatever it was, kind of extended the tendrils of my um, perceptual awareness, could kind of feel the pressure of the bed huh. on, on, on my back while still looking out over this grassy field. Amazing that, hold on, amazing that the memory of this, I mean, it's uh, memories of dreams, you know, mostly listening to other people's dreams can be a real downer or whatever. Right, but right. in this case, what's fascinating is that, is that also that you have the memory that has, that has remained, the very clear memory of it, which mm. is, yeah, which is okay. Keep going, keep going. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was, um, there was some, well, there was something about this sort of the epiphanic realization, um, you know, it, 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 it really it made a very very strong impression of simultaneously being in two places at once mm -hmm. oh wow and then that just changed the way that i thought about reality afterwards because it wasn't so clear you know when i woke up the next day and went to work it's like well how you know how is this fundamentally different from from the dream mm -hmm. right it permanently affected the way that i thought about consciousness huh. and so this comes into play in this particular image um insofar as you have what started off as, you know, what I could see as a, you know, my own reflection in the glass. And then in the same fashion uh, as in that dream state of shifting the focal plane of attention yeah. to either, you know, being in one space or being in the other. Okay. And I think the image shows this. So right. you have this, you have this peculiar, you know, because we've got the pane of glass that is, the railing you've got the panes of glass that are you know from on the the sliding door or on the windows so mm -hmm. we've got these four reflective surfaces and if you know on the right hand side of the image we see what is predominantly the the man-made construction right. right that's that's where you see the house yeah you can see the couch mm -hmm. kind of in, inside the the living room but at the same time there's a tree growing in front of the couch mm -hmm. On the right-hand side of the, or sorry, on the left-hand side of the image, you see nature. So you can see the ocean, you can see the forest, you can see you yeah. know, the mountains, you can see the sky and the sunlight. And yet there's uh, a little bit of structure of, um, you know, the, the human-made structure, which is also kind of, you know, peering through the trees. Right, right. And kind of at the center of it all is this figure which is both there and not there, right? It's sort of, you can sort of get the sense of this, a head-like structure in the uh -huh. middle. And to me, this is just a, kind of an exquisite symbol of what, you know, kind of the illusory nature of, of the self. Right. And how it can shift back and forth. It's constantly, you know, sort of shifting its perspectives and mm -hmm. really deriving its sense of continuity from... The, those transitions as to, as opposed to it being anything that is solid right so here's what's interesting as well is that because it is you who are there at that time making that image you have a lot of anchors that you can that you you read that image in a way that uh reflects that time and that memory mm -hmm. so you're kind of it reinforces because you have the the memory of the space and you have the memory of the smells and and you know what your your head looks like in that shape uh, as a as somebody not who hasn't been there who 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 doesn't have those anchors um i'm taking it on faith the idea that that you can see your head it's in a way it's it, even that is one 
level outside you know what i mean like it's it's not even accessible to me and i can and i can see for somebody who who is interested in in like as you're saying in terms of you know the the realness of reality and and the you know perception of it why why an image like this would would resonate and be meaningful and i think i really would suggest that that uh if, for example in a previous and it's quite interesting a previous uh, guest i had here uh lady chisholm she herself has been going into neuroscience as well and she was also talking about what it is to perceive and to see it's interesting that these are these are uh that uh, that i've gravitated to people who happen to be in this part of the world of thinking you know like mm-hmm. it, it's quite interesting that i could connect your image here with what she she sent and what she talked about how much of this influences your everyday like you know teaching chemistry <laughs> like how do you confuse your students i i think it's uh, it's just a regular through line there uh, it doesn't it almost doesn't matter what i'm teaching that you know the, the notion of cultivating a kind of self-awareness that doesn't become imprisoned within uh, excessive self-reflection. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's this notion of mirrors within mirrors. I think that, you know, people, people can become trapped with their own, within their own thought processes. Mm. And in fact, thought, you know, thought seems to be predisposed to that, predisposed to, uh, you know, getting trapped within endless uh, self-reflection. Right, right. And, and so, you know, the question of what it's like to have a nervous system that uh, is in uh, an appropriate balance and orientation, both within itself and, and, you know, with others, with the external reality, so that it, it acts harmoniously and intelligently. Um, that just operates in the background of, you know, I think whatever it is that is being communicated. So it's right. not for, for me, so it's not just, you know, it's like, okay, we'll learn about, maybe we'll, we'll talk about how to calculate pH today, but at the uh-huh. same time, we're, we're learning about our, you know, ourselves and our thought processes and, you know, and the obstacles we might encounter. Hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I think about in terms of, because when you're thinking about chemistry, you're also, th- you're thinking about the, the substance, but you're also thinking about the atomic behavior. Right. And what, when you start looking at the, the, the sort of atoms and the science of it, and you're just like, well, wait a second, what is matter even, let alone? Right. So I can totally see um, then trying to understand, well, how does consciousness exist within these matter systems? It's, I could totally, and, and it ties in the philosophy and the psychology and everything. Like it, I can definitely connect with what you're saying. Well, yeah, I, because, you know, chemistry is this central science, uh, you know, it's like we're, we're talking about matter. Well, what is matter? Why, why do we define it as such, mm-hmm. you know? And I think to, to, get, to get oriented to that and to understand that in, in some fashion, all of this is, you know, it's a construction of human enterprise. Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're telling a story about what we think is happening in this physical world, but, you know, based on how, how we perceive it and how we measure it. Yeah, but we're not. But we're not separate from that process. Mm-hmm. Right? Like human, although it, sometimes science gives you the sense of it, you know, being something independent. It it absolutely is not. Right. Yes. That that is a perfect segue. Oddly enough, that I will uh, use um, and please take it to go to the next image because mm-hmm. uh, basal dendrites. 
my first degree was in creative writing, so writing poetry, mm-hmm. like the least useful thing a person could possibly ever do. So um, I, I, don't, I don't agree, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying this facetiously. Okay, but uh, uh, so you know, I read basil dendrites, and to me, mm-hmm. those th- two words are like are music like basal dendrites and uh do you want to describe the image or do you want me to describe it uh sure i, I quite enjoy your description so please, please, <laughs> okay please go ahead yeah. okay so i like i love it so the top the top third i guess is uh it looks like the like the bc rainforest of uh, mm. you see these gray trunks just everything's flecked and mossed over with a bit of green and you could see a bit of the leaves so it's the trunk like the gray but you also mm-hmm. have these like vertical, not too far away, but vertical trunks. And then in between, instead of seeing white, you see green because it's like this, it's just this forest that seems it's quite open. Mm-hmm. The bottom uh, two thirds is just the exposed root system of these trees. And on it are probably like, it's probably the, the topsoil or, or the, the mulch of, of, cedar and and other kinds of trees so it's very warm and brown it's it's a stunning image it's like just absolutely stunning and it uh this actually ties into another guy i spoke to uh adrian bejan who talks about how why is it that for example the 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 water system the river system uh of of you know of a delta look like a lung which look Mm -hmm. like a tree which look like the trunks so then when i see Mm -hmm. these these basal dendrites what a beautiful thing to say basal dendrites um it's it echoes that it looks like a brain it looks like a a heart it looks like a well not like a heart but like a lung what does this image uh, signify for you yeah well you i think you you actually happened uh, you happened right on it with the you know part of the 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 fractal notion of it as you were describing um that uh your other guest was on about you know seeing these similarities of pattern but you know what on on at first blush, it's just the, you know, the sort of geometric richness of the image. I, you know, it's just, again, one of those ones walking along a trail. This was to uh, China Beach, um, which you, you may have visited in yep. your time in, in British Columbia. So, uh, you know, it's just this visually arresting, you know, kind of sight as you, as you, you know, turn a corner on the trail. But there's another level for this for me, which is that uh, a great deal of the work that I did when I was in grad school was um, we had a, a mouse model of a disease and inside the layer five pyramidal neurons of the neocortex with these, we actually had this transgenic mouse that expressed a fluorescent protein in these pyramidal cells. And these are the ones. So if you, if, you know, people were to imagine the kind of canonical image uh, about what a, what a brain cell, like what a neuron looks mm-hmm. like, this it would be the layer five pyramidal cells and it's it's because they really look like trees right they look like they look like these trees oh wow so i actually spent probably a year of my life you know doing confocal 3d confocal fluorescence microscopy taking you know these three-dimensional almost like a like a like a stack of pancakes you know of, of layers of these digital images of these fluorescent neurons and then tracing them in 3d oh sort wow of just sitting in darkened rooms <laughs> and so um and actually literally tracing what are called the basal dendrites so you know these neurons have got sort of like their main their main trunk okay so they've got the cell body they've got the main apical dendrite 
and they've got these branches up at the top, and then they've got these things which look more like roots. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's what allows them to, you know, intercommunicate with their neighbors, to connect to other parts of the brain, etc. And mm-hmm. so having spent, you know, literally a year of my life staring at these things, these tiny, tiny little cells, and then seeing this pattern um, recapitulate, uh, you know, it's exactly like what your other, what, um, what your, what your other guest was describing you this, this notion of, you know, there's this, this fractal patterning that happens where you're seeing across disparate time scales the same sorts of structures repeating. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that's probably the first, the first pass level of what, what draws me into the image. Uh-huh. And then the next aspect of it is, comes from a feeling that I would often get being in forests and which was, you know, layered upon from the studies that I, that I did in, in, in grad school like being inside a brain. Okay. So it's like to actually extend the fractal notion, um, what a forest, you know, it's like the quality of a forest is like being inside a neocortex. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I kept, there was a, a film in the sixties. I can't remember. I think it was called the one, you know, fabulous journey or the wondrous journey. I can't remember the title of it. Um, but you know, some scientists are, they get miniaturized and injected into a, Oh yeah. So, getting attempting to expand one's you know sensitivity or perceptual awareness to you know maybe feel what it's like if the brain you know if if a forest was a brain right if in, if in fact these things are you know if trees are like neurons and this thing is a collective system which is engaged in information processing just on time scales not of milliseconds but you know of years or decades yeah yeah um, and yeah, just, just to kind of bathe in, bathe in that, uh, you know, entertaining that idea mm-hmm. and get, get, get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Okay. So one of the great things about, so for example, philosophy, right? So mm-hmm. I, I have, a, have a friend here in Hong Kong who teaches philosophy and he likes to take his, his class on walks. And the idea being that on a walk, you can let your mind kind of freely associate and all this mm-hmm. stuff. Okay. Pulling it out over to British Columbia. I Sorry, when, when I say it, I have to say it with falsetto. Okay, so <laughs> so the the forest out there is, I mean, it's a it's a rainforest. It's, mm-hmm. it's a bit cool. Um, but what's great about the image is that when you look at it, you can see that, well, there's no real trail to walk through it. And and it does look like this mass of organic, and, and sure, like... Okay, so of course, if you look at it as as a, as an image, the first surface, yeah, it's trees and and exposed uh, roots. But as you say, if you look at it from you know through a, through another glass or another uh, perception or another step, it could very well be uh, these these dendrites, right? And there's something kind of interesting about walking through there, right? Which BC's forests are so big and epic and 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 you you know as you walk through it it's i think unlike other forests certainly you know in ontario or quebec or anything uh or, or hong kong let alone hong kong the thing about bc forests is that you really feel their aliveness in a way mm-hmm. that you know so so like there's this notion of going and hugging trees which sounds mm-hmm. so flaky it sounds like mm-hmm. so like oh come on and and it's not that, that I necessarily hug trees, but when you walk through these forests, you really feel the bigness of it. And I could so I can absolutely uh, connect 
with you walking through there and then turning your your head and then looking at that and just saying like well it's just leaping out at you saying look here i am like this is this is like make that connection because it's it's so clearly evident yeah i think that's exactly right and you know i have a, I actually have a lot of um sympathy for you know a religion like shinto where you've you've got this which i i suspect i'm not i'm not an expert in this but probably most traditional cultures have this uh, animistic you know uh, notion um which you know we could deconstruct scientifically it's like sure this is what human human brains do where they you know because we're evolved to attribute selfhood to each other because we're a social species sometimes our brain can generalize that to you know other what we might call you know inanimate or or you know vegetative objects so we might ascribe you know beingness to a river or to a tree or to a mountain something like that and and of course view that as a kind of uh, confusion or delusion right it's a it's an mm-hmm. overgeneralization of something which is actually functional and useful when mm-hmm. we apply it to each other but um i don't know if you're you know you're familiar with uh, Marie Kondo, uh, she's became quite popular in the last couple of years about, you know, how to organize your home, um, you know, how to fold your socks in your sock. (laughs) Is she the one who like you touch something and then if it doesn't, okay, that's right. And you, you basically, well, so in, in a way it's kind of like modernized Shinto as I see it. Um, it's quite animistic, you know, it's like if you're going to figure out how to fold your sheets, you kind of have a conversation, you know, with it and with yourself and, you know, ask your socks how they want to be stored you know, <laughs> yeah. in, in your, in your sock drawer. Yeah. Now, obviously from a scientific perspective, absurd, you know, your socks don't care um, how they're folded, mm-hmm. but I think it has very interesting effect. It has very interesting cognitive effects. You know, okay. if you, if you approach life as though all of the things with which you're interacting are in fact, you, you can ascribe a kind of beingness to them. There's a the heuristic effect of that is that it, it just it just changes how you live, mm-hmm. right? You just become much more sensitive and respectful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you start to, for example, you know, move through a forest, I think arguably there's that the uh, the absurdity becomes of, of taking that stance becomes less and less. You know, where you can you know come up to a, a tree that is was there long before you were born and which is going to outlive you. That you can have a sense that you know this is this is kind of an autonomous being. It mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't have a mind like yours, but it, it, it has something. Yeah. And you can relate to it in a very different way from that, from that perspective, almost the way it, you know, the way cells, you know, cells within a multicellular organism might relate to each other. It's like, you know, you're a neuron and, and I'm a white blood cell, but uh-huh. we're all, we're all, in, we're all in this. Right. We're all in this together. Yeah. Okay, so so let me uh, throw a question into the pool uh, and see what ripples we, we can spot. Um, in the photograph, because um, you're walking around and I, I have this feeling in the sense that when we see, we get all of this information and then our brains kind of perk up or connect or kind of uh, stop. So you, you had the whole motivation to stop walking, to lift up the camera, to make the photo from there. Now, what's interesting when you look at the image is that in the whole image, it's all browns and greens and blacks. Mm-hmm. Yet, uh, and the brown is kind of a warm brown, you know. It's a, but it's it's not too neutral. But you know, okay, so it's a brown. But in the whole image, there's this one little dot, 
mm-hmm. on this one mm-hmm. little tree that's right far away. It's like, it must be a small sign, and it's like, but it's bright orange slash red fluorescent. And it's, you know, in, in the image itself, it's probably less than 0.1% of the image surface, right? So when you look at the picture, it's kind of like at the, if you look at the rule of thirds or whatever, it's in the top. Uh, you know, third quadrant, there's this one little red thing that your eye gets pulled towards. Just, yeah, just leaps towards it, yeah. I So here's a question for you. Do you think that placement was, was conscious or was it a happy accident? When when I took the photo? Yeah. Oh, no, that's very conscious. So there... Oh, great. For when I take a photograph like this, um, you know, I'm... I'm sometimes a bit of a nightmare to go on hikes with because, <laughs> you know, suddenly it's like, okay, you, you go ahead and I'm just going to like, I'm going to take, you know, 50 photos and I'm like lying in a ditch somewhere, or, you know, standing on my head and just to try to get the composition perfect. You sound like a photographer to me, man. I don't care what you say. <laughs> you sound yeah. like a freaking committed photographer. <laughs> uh, well, you, you know, I think if when, once you see it, and you know, I sometimes, you know, I, I think probably one of the, you know, one of the more painful things about taking taking pictures, even on my phone, is that sometimes I I just can't get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I can I can see the thing, I can see the thing, but I can't position the camera in such a way that I can I can capture okay. in the fo- in the photograph what I can see. Right, and that hurts. You know, it's like there's this beautiful, extraordinary thing you want to you want to share, uh-huh. and it. It, remain, it remains, you know, this this thing which is just for you and just for them. That I think that sentence, a beautiful, extraordinary thing you want to share. I don't know, man. I mean, like that, for some reason, those words coming out of your head make sense to me. You know, like, okay, yeah, I connect with that. Yeah. Ah. So for your students, into a classroom which is mostly functional, right, which mm-hmm. is a competence-based class, how do these ideas ever get folded in? Because in a way, I'm assuming that part of what you're doing as, a, as an instructor is you're kind of raising them to kind of go one step higher and further. And, you know, if we look at it in terms of um, human advancement, right? So how do you elevate their consciousness to see in the way that you see? I think, at, you know, of course, there's you know, there's the content you have to deliver uh, as that's, you know, what, what yeah. you're, what you're mandated with, but at another level, it's there, there's, there's something a little bit that goes a little bit like, okay, watch, watch, watch how I do this. Okay. Right. And you show by, you show by doing, you know, it's, I, I it's, it's a little bit like, you know, you have, you have children. So um, you might imagine if, and maybe you've done something like this where you have to run across a fast moving stream by, by, you know, skipping from one stone to the next. And mm-hmm. there's a certain mental state they have to get into, you know, to work up the courage that, you know, they're going to be able to, they're going to be able to do it, but they have to be in a state of motion, right? right. They can't, they have to, they have to commit, right. they have to commit and then embrace what it is to move and flow through the thing. Mm-hmm. And so, I feel like that you know in in teaching there's almost something like that it's like okay so here's how I would work through this and here's how I would see it and then when I'm on the other side of the stream I turn around and I say show me right. show me show me how you do it 
And then we then have a very interesting dialogue about where sometimes I learn from them too. For sure. Right? There, there's something that there's some new way, you know, in their unique expression of, of how they see the world and how they approach things where we now are starting to teach each other. And I think that is probably the most significant thing of thing of all where they, they get a feeling of not, not this hierarchical relationship of, you know, be, being, you know, the, t- the teacher and the taught, but rather, you know, sort of co-participants or co-explorers of, of how to navigate life. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So I think that's, that's probably, uh, you know, how we might try to fold, fold some of that into, into the day to day. David, seriously. Um, so good. So good. Look, I, uh, I love these conversations because they can become there. They can go in any direction. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I love the, the sort of the, the magic that people bring. And, and when you send me the pictures, they're great. And uh, I, I love how you think. I love how you think. Well, I think you're doing a, a kind of a magical thing here, too. You know, drawing all of these, you know, weaving some very disparate strands together from from all over the world. And I think, yeah, it's quite remarkable. Oh. So. Well, we'll see. We'll see if it's uh, yeah. Told. Uh, look, you just keep making images, and I will have you on. And if you, I think you know, uh, I was sort of, I, I I got a whiff of maybe you'd want to start a podcast. I think you should because, uh, yeah, I really do think you have a very interesting way of expressing yourself. Um, well, there's there's nothing you know. I mean, conversations like this are probably uh, you know one of the things that I that I enjoy. I enjoy most, uh, mm. you know, out of life. So right, I think maybe you and I should start dating. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a new millennium. Okay, okay, Dave. Thank you so much, man. All right. Thank okay. You, have Ryan. a great day. This is uh, great. Yeah. Take care. Uh, I really hope you also enjoyed listening in. If you did, please share it. You know, sharing is caring. It's also the best way to ensure that these episodes keep getting made. Now, if you want to learn more about Dave, it's going to be a little hard because he doesn't have the biggest digital footprint. I mean, he does have an Instagram page and that link is in the notes. Okay, so Shooting It Raw was hosted by me, Ran Alfasi, and is produced by Service Detox Consulting. Mixed in Hong Kong, Shooting It Raw is rarely distributed by, oh, let's see, the the people at 7-Eleven. Keep learning, keep exploring, keep becoming a better person, and I'm here if you need me. Bye!